Hey, what is going on, Party Crashers? This is Jerry Jones, host of The Uninvited. However you found us, wherever you found us, I am so glad you did. Uh, be sure to do me a favor, subscribe, so you don't miss another one of these epic podcasts. Um, and also, give us a five-star rating, if you can, because... Five stars feels a whole lot like love, and the world needs a little bit lo more love right now. And four stars, well, four stars is the friend zone, and I suppose the friend zone's okay. Um, but, you know, you have to have a really healthy self-esteem for the friend zone and for a four-star rating. And that's just not how we roll around here um, at the Uninvited. So how how's your weekend going? How are y'all... How are y'all doing living uh, the quarantine dream, uh, as it were? Um, it's been, you know, it's been interesting. So uh, the kiddo is uh, preparing um, to head off uh, to school. And uh, yeah, just kind of doing all the kind of errand running, all that stuff. Um, I am thinking about all of you um, with um, school age youth. Um, and hoping that you're all are okay. Hoping that you, your kids, everyone is okay. Um, are you all trying to squeeze a little bit of, uh, kind of fun, fun activity, vacation, um, before this, I don't know, whatever we, whatever we're calling this return to school or hybrid school or what have you, um, would love to know like how you all are, are passing the time. Um, hit me up at, uh, the uninvited podcast on Instagram um, shoot me a message. Let me know how you and the family are doing and, and what you all are doing to, to pass the time. Um, I know what Joe Biden has, uh, <laughs> has been doing to, to pass, to pass the time. Um, Joe Biden is, uh, saying and doing Joe Biden things. I mean, we, this is not unexpected though, right? Uh, especially those who are, well, not even especially those who are inclined to vote Democrat in the uh, 2020 election. I believe, by the way, I think we're 86 days out. You all can check my math on that. 86 days out from the uh, November 3rd election. Um, but those of us who are inclined to vote Democrat, uh, and probably especially those who are inclined not to vote Democrat, um, We've been waiting for this, right? And, and for and for different reasons. I would say that that the red hats um, have been have been waiting for this because you know they've got a guy where this is just part and parcel what he does, right? And and they needed they needed a short term win. They needed something. Those of us uh, who are more kind of, you know, blue-blooded, uh, have been dreading this moment for almost <laughs> for almost the same exact reason as as uh, as the conservatives. Uh, Joe Biden um, doing doing something that we have advised Uncle Joe. There's a reason why we keep Uncle Joe in the bunker, right? Why we just slide him three squares a day. Uh, we give him, 
usually like an hour of, of outside time. But there's a reason why we, we, we've, been, we've been trying to keep Joe under quarantine. Um, but Joe, uh, during an interview, elaborating on an answer that he had already clearly answered but decided to keep going. Can, can we talk about this for a second? Like, we do understand that Joe needs training wheels, right? I mean, he's been in this game for a long time. And whenever we take the training wheels off, of Uncle Joe, this kind of thing happens. The thing that I'm referring to is um, racist ideas coming out of Joe's mouth, um, and I'm not I'm not saying that Joe that's not part and parcel of what he does, but what Joe does do as kind of a, as a second job uh, are are gaffes, and the gaff that he made. Uh, essentially boiled down to, I don't have the quote in front of me, but essentially saying that um, unlike Latinx communities, <laughs> the black community is not terribly diverse. Uh, that is a, <laughs> that's a problematic statement, right? Right? In and of itself. Uh, but is it weird? I mean, so obviously I'm, 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 What's the word here? I don't want to say I'm offended because I know what he said is just 100% wrong. Um, and there's a part of me, if I'm being honest, it says that I'm not as offended. And probably for the same reason that many Trump supporters aren't offended by the things that, that the president says, is that you kind of expect it. You kind of expect these kind of gaffes from Joe. You kind of expect the president to say things that are false. <laughs> Um, but but what really bothered me about what Vice President Biden said was his, I don't know, how he entered into his line of reasoning. I should note, uh, Biden has already apologized, um, and Biden has some really strong um, African-American leaders on, uh, on his campaign, on his communications team. Uh, and I feel like they've done a decent job in helping him walk this back. The president has helped him a little bit on this. Um, and we'll get to that uh, in a second. But it's what it's what the vice president said leading up to the 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 uh, troubling comments. I'm sorry, I'm not going to code it. What he said was racist. We, we need to own that. What he said was a racist idea. And we cannot excuse that. Okay. If the president had said what Joe Biden had said, those of us on the left would be roasting, still roasting the president over those words. And so we can't just sweep what Joe said under the rug. But what he said before was, you know, many of you probably, I am paraphrasing. This is not an exact quote, but what I'm paraphrasing what he says, like many of you already know this, but dot 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 meaning oh yeah we already know that black people aren't diverse there's no diversity of thought there's no diversity of culture there's no diversity in our uh political associations we already know that but what most of you don't know is that the latinx community uh is not that way he did not use latinx by the way this is something we're going to have to work on um on joe biden on 
but it was that part that offended me as if it's common knowledge. And the thing that bothers me is that for him to say those words, as many of you already know, that means that's something that he holds true as a belief. And so I guess what I'm saying is we can't expect Joe Biden to be perfect. We clearly don't expect um, President Trump to be perfect. Uh, but what we do expect is progress. And what I have not seen from from Biden is a progression in thought. You know, um, he has made he's made it clear um, that Barack Obama is one of his best friends. But when you come out and say stuff like that, that's kind of the same as saying, you know, some of my best friends are black. And um, we have to hold Joe accountable to that. Um, you know, and I, I posted something on, on Facebook and, and got some pushback from folks. But, you know, and, and AOC um, had, says this a lot. And I agree with her. The thing with elections is you are choosing who you want to hold accountable. You're not just choosing someone to represent you and represent your interest. The main thing you're doing is choosing who you want to make accountable for the things that we expect to have happen, wherever, whatever level it is, federal, state, local, okay? And so this is not to say people who are supporting Joe Biden or thinking about supporting Joe Biden should not support Joe Biden. What I'm saying is that we must choose to hold him accountable while at the same time recognizing that the alternative to Joe Biden is, um, I don't know, just disastrous. Okay. Um, and so, I, and, and for me, one of the things that I believe that we need to do um, is, um, is hold Biden accountable um, to a strong anti-racist agenda. You know, I you know there have been bits and pieces. Um, he said, I was going to say that he said all the right things, but clearly, clearly Joe has not said all uh, the right things. But I want to see, I, I think that anti-racism, I think in order to run as a Democrat, at, at any level, uh, especially a state and federal level, just as choice is a, uh, is a litmus test, um, anti-racism has to be front and center, part and parcel of just entry into the conversation regarding your political aspirations. That if you do not have a clearly articulated anti-racist agenda that should be a non-starter. No, zero consideration. None. Have to be. Have to be. Um, so Joe needs to get it together. And I think one of the things that Joe can do, besides having a clearly articulated anti-racist agenda, um, is um, how he decides to select a running mate. Now, apparently on his little bike ride yesterday, can we just... Can, Listen, 
I am pro mask. I hate COVID. Um, COVID, COVID has robbed, um, my family. Um, and, um, it's devastating the country. I think we should be doing all the stuff, right? Safe physical distancing, wearing masks, washing hands. Um, but Joe, come on, man. So Joe Biden, Joe Biden's very fit, by the way, for his age, not just for his age. I think he's fit. He's probably, he's more fit than me, which is sad. Ah, uh, but he's out riding his bike, not wearing a helmet. Joe, wear a helmet, brother. You, <laughs> you are, you are this close possibly to being the next president of the United States. You need to wear a helmet. Uh, I don't actually think you need to be wearing a mask though on the bike ride. Um, I think we get it. Wearing a mask is important, but come on, Joe, come on. You're riding the bike, man. Like, and if you're doing it just for the photo op, get off the bike. That's all I'm saying. Like, I, I, I think we're beyond the point of photo op politics. Um, but I bring all that up to say is that on his little bike jaunt, um, Joe has apparently tipped his hand saying, yeah, I've selected my running mate. I know, I know who this person is. And I don't know what you think about this. Um, you know, does, does this running mate have to be a black woman? Um, and I, I will say that, um, I've been of the opinion that it, that it should be, uh, but I don't necessarily believe that it has to be. Um, but I, I think I think of, of the candidates that he is considering, I have a couple that, um, that I'm leaning towards that I, I like them all, um, some more than others. Um, but does it need to be a black woman? I don't know. I don't know. I, it wouldn't hurt <laughs> if he chose a black woman. I mean, the uh, black women have carried the democratic party for several decades now. And I don't think it's too much to ask for um, for there to be a black woman um, on the ticket and to have a black woman um, just one short breath away from being president of the United States. Um, apparently, Maureen O'Dowd <laughs> also believes that there should be a, a female running mate. Um, but Maureen O'Dowd, you talk about Joe Biden saying and doing Joe Biden things. Marino Dowd uh, of the New York Times, famed New York Times columnist. I actually think she's a she's a fantastic. You don't get to become a featured, um, you know, op-ed, you know, writer for the New York Times um, for quite a long time now without being super talented. Um, but every once in a while, Maureen will just say some things that just make you scratch your head. And the article that she'd posted a couple days ago before it was, um, I feel like the New York Times, their, their standards have slipped. This is this is kind of what annoys me sometimes about um, the president is that sometimes he is right. I think it was, was it the last episode that I kind of said that maybe he might be on to something with CNN? Uh, and that was a little like tongue in cheek. Um, I don't. You know, CNN is not the enemy and media is not the enemy of the people. So I don't, you know, so I know I may have offended some of you by, by saying that. But I mean, but CNN, I mean, their, their standards have, have lessened over the years. And New York Times 
how is it that um, that the 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 department editor would let an article slip through where Maureen O'Dowd is saying it's been 36 years since a man and a woman have run together on the Democratic presidential ticket, referring to Mondale Ferraro, Walter Mondale, uh, Geraldine Ferraro. And just completely forgetting about this whole thing that happened in 2016, where the Democratic nominee for president actually won 3 million more votes than the person who was actually um, elected president. Do y'all remember Hillary, Hillary Rodham Clinton? And then we haven't talked about her in a while. Do y'all remember her? Well, apparently Maureen O'Dowd did not remember um, Hillary Clinton running with Tim Kaine in 2016. And, and here's the thing. I get it. I want to forget it too. I would love to forget 2016. Um, I was in DC. So that was November 8th. And I had to go to DC that later that week. Um, I think I, I left Kansas City on the 11th. And I had a week of meetings in DC. And uh, man, it was terrible. I mean, sitting in meetings and people would just spontaneously like just break down into tears in meetings. Um, it was a disaster. The town was just, people were like, I don't know if I can stay. I don't know what life, life means. It was a really confusing time and just heartbreaking time. So I understand why Maureen O'Dowd would want to forget it. Um, Hillary Clinton threw some epic shade. Hillary Clinton, by the way, in her um, kind of like her absence away from elected office uh, or, you know, secretary of state, she has really gotten great at the shade throwing. She threw some some pot brownie shade at Marino Dowd. Marino Dowd had, a, had you know, again, an illustrious career uh, working for the Times. Um, had written an article about how, you know, with pot brownies. And so, I, you know, Hillary Clinton, nice little callback. If she had just shown that kind of uh, tenacity there at the end, and especially in those debates with Donald Trump, with him stalking her around, uh, we do know that she was robbed, right? We do understand that, right? I mean, can we, can we all agree that I talked about Stacey Abrams being robbed uh, a couple episodes ago in Georgia. We can all agree that Hillary got robbed. We can point fingers at some of the shortcomings of her campaign, but damn it, she was robbed. Okay. But yeah, Marino Dowd um, suggests that there, it's time that we have a woman since in her mind, it had been 36 years, um, even though it's only, it's been less than four years um, since a man and a woman have run together on the Democratic ticket. It'll be interesting to see who um, who Biden picks, um, and whoever whoever it is, whoever it is, they're going to have their work um, cut out for them. Um, you find someone who's strong on domestic policy. Do you find someone who's strong on 
Um, international policy, do you find someone who can repair the breach uh, between uh, the black community, Latinx community, um, indigenous community, and law enforcement? I mean, Joe's got some things to consider, but it sounds like he's made up his mind. Um, the president has also um, made up his mind on, on a few things. And I think one of the things he's decided upon is he is, <laughs> he, I, I got to tell you, this is the thing about the president that's really frustrating if you're an opponent of, of his, just his ideology, his personality, his, his policies. Um, he thrives with a live and captive audience. And so these past couple of days from one of his mini golf clubs, um, this time in, in uh, Bedminster. Is that, am I getting that right? Bedminster, New Jersey. Um, he held, um, you know, first of all, you know, the president is the king of the bait and switch. You know, the president all day, his people are like touting that the president's going to make a major announcement on, um, you know, stimulus package and looking at putting out a couple of, um, executive orders to address some issues, but he really spent the first half hour uh, bashing the Democrats. And he's getting free media coverage because when the president calls um, like a press conference, you know, it's, you, you cover it. And, I, you know, and I'm sure there's some FEC guidelines around the fact that they do have to cover it, but it clearly was a, a political event but not to get into that but you know it was interesting to hear this this um executive order cer ceremony signing ceremony with his opening remarks and to have like a gallery of um members of his club there laughing and cheering and the president offering pins by which he signed the executive order and it's just like it was he was clearly in his element um and you got to give it to him the, i mean he knows how to uh craft a television event and uh he he was feeling it yesterday um i would say that the things that he uh is promoting though um i don't know i, I he, he there was a lot of uh a lot of smoke and mirrors with the executive orders that the president um signed yesterday and it'll be interesting to see uh what happens but so if, for those who, who didn't have an opportunity to to see the president's um ceremony yesterday or had a chance to uh, to read up or hear, hear on it, but, uh, he promised a few things, one of which he, you know, kind of foregoing student loan debt, I think till the end of the year. Um, but the big three, one of them is a big one, which is in order to, to kind of help workers out right now is to delay the collection of the payroll tax. So we already know that, um, employers have already had like a, I don't know if, if the word is forbearance, but kind of a delay on collecting those taxes. But what the president is is recommending and what he signed into order, and we'll see if it holds up or not, 
is to delay the collection of the payroll tax for those who are essentially making under $100,000. It doesn't mean that there, he's getting rid of that tax. What it means is that for a short window of time, basically through the end of the year, um, people are going to see a little bit of a bump in their paycheck because that payroll tax isn't coming out. Um, and the president says, hey, and by the way, if you uh, reelect me, I'm going to make these cuts permanent. That sounds really cool, right? A permanent tax cut? Who doesn't like a permanent tax cut? Who doesn't like the idea of more money getting into your pocket? Uh, the problem with the payroll tax, um, which is we pay it and then our employers match a little bit, um, that's what pays for Social Security. So what the president promised yesterday essentially is if you reelect me, I am going to defund Social Security. People can say all they want. Well, that's not what he said. I'm like, oh, that is what he said. When you say this, again, language matters. Okay. So if he says, I'm going to make these payroll tax deferments permanent for those making under 100,000, he's saying those people making under 100,000 will no longer, if I'm reelected, won't be paying ever again into Social Security. So we, he would be defunding Social Security. That's what he signed as an executive order yesterday. And which got all the applause from the people in the gallery. So that's one thing. That's one of the things, smoke and mirrors, that the president offered yesterday. Um, the other big thing, you know, there, there are three things, but the other big one, that's going to be the subject of all sorts of consternation um, in, in households across America and especially at the state level. Um, well, and, and, at, and at the congressional level. So the president decided yesterday to circumvent um, the Democratic House and the GOP-controlled Senate by um, offering an extension of unemployment aid. So, as you all know, uh, the federal government had been providing um, a $600 a week um, kind of, I don't know what the word is, uh, in addition to what folks would get for unemployment at the state level, the feds were kicking in um, a weekly amount of $600. The president yesterday um, signed an executive order saying, hey, we're going to do $400 a week. Um, and, and here's the kicker. States are going to have to kick in 25% of that $400 a week amount. So I don't know about your state where you live. Um, but the state that I live in, they don't have the money for an additional hundred dollars a month I would suspect I would suspect what would happen is that states would just say hey 
we're already paying X amount. I think the average amount is like 300 and something dollars um, a week. Um, they would just say, hey, we're paying you 325 $330 a week. Um, the federal government is paying you 400 and we're like they will offset that 100 as money already provided. So essentially instead of seeing an extra $400, what would end up happening is that um, most people who are uninsured uninsured, sorry, unemployed would only really be receiving an additional $300. However, that isn't even the point. The point is that the president decided that he doesn't have to get congressional approval to do any of this. So the Democrats, it's been three months since the Democrats passed a stimulus package. It's been sitting on Mitch McConnell's desk. Um, and uh, I think I referred to Mitch McConnell, like his office looks like maybe the kind of like an episode of Hoarders uh, with all of the bills that have been passed by Nancy Pelosi's um, democratically controlled house that have just been sitting and, you know, in, on his desk and around his office and collecting dust. Um, the Republicans who have not offered a, a bill um, in response, have not taken up the house bill, have not offered up their own bill. Um, they're coming in at, at a significantly lower rate than even the president. The Republican controlled Senate is suggesting they do a $200 a week um, uh, unemployment uh, supplemental benefit um, and the president is suggesting 400 so they're not even on the same page here's the thing president doesn't have the ability whatsoever to do what he is recommending he does not control the purse springs strings purse springs purse strings uh, that's congress and so how the process is to work is the Senate would pass a bill and then they'd go to conference committee with the House and then they work out the differences. Um, so the Senate hasn't done that. And I, I think the president seeing the ineptitude of Senate leadership um, on from his party has had to step in uh, to try to get some things done. Uh, he doesn't have the capacity to compel Congress to do any of this. He doesn't have the power to compel the states to do any of this, but who knows, like his, his sheep might fall in line, um, at the state level and, and try to make some things happen. Um, personally, I think he's just, you know, he's just selling, right? He's just, he's trying to, to politic for, for November 3rd, um, and, and put, you know, pressure on the Democrats and Republicans, but, um, Nancy's not falling for the trick bag. It'll be interesting to see what uh, McConnell does. And he's got Mark Meadows, uh, his chief of staff, um, really leading the negotiations for the White House um, with the Senate and with the, the Democrats. We'll see. We'll see what happens. Um, the third thing, and one of the things I really wanted to get into, is with regards to um, evictions. So the federal um, eviction protections expired into July. Many local and state um, eviction moratoriums have expired all across the country. And so one of the things that the president signed in his executive order was he ordered <laughs> he ordered um, 
basically consideration to halting evictions. He did not, he did not author an executive order um, prohibiting evictions, but only that um, it should be considered. We've got about typically in, in a given year, there's anywhere between three and a half, four million evictions that happen each year. And right now, because of everything that's happened before coronavirus, we're sitting at the potential of 30 to 40 million evictions happening this year. Um, you know, that's a tenfold increase. I don't know if you all have ever read the book Evicted. Uh, it came out a few years ago. Matthew Desmond is the author. The book is called Evicted. Um, Poverty and Profit in the American City, focused primarily in Milwaukee. Uh, I didn't know this before reading this book, that Milwaukee, Wisconsin, was one of the most racist cities in America. Um, and what spurred me to read their book, read not their book, Matthew Desmond's book last year, was that their city council had passed an ordinance declaring um, racism um, as, um, a public health issue. And, um, and then shout out to, um, here in Kansas city, um, one of our, our councilwoman, um, Melissa Robinson, um, got a similar ordinance passed here in Kansas city. Um, and it is, it, 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 it is a, a, um, a, a, a civil rights issue and also a public health issue. Um, but evictions, will if even if even if only 20% of that 30 to 40 million are evicted during a pandemic during the entry to um the flu season would be it would be a a, a public health crisis of epic uh epic proportion um, in that intersection of, of inequitable access to healthcare, uh, inequitable access to, um, the kind of employment that would provide, uh, benefits, healthcare benefits and a living wage. Um, it's just, and the intersection with those things and the pandemic, um, I don't know. I, I'd, I'd read an article this morning in the USA Today. I think it may have come out yesterday, but I read it today. Um, there was a woman named Leslie Nielsen, not not the not the actor from Airplane, by the way. Um, could they make Airplane today? Talking <laughs> talking about intersect the intersectionality of race and. And comedy or, or or filmmaking, could they make that movie today? I, I I'm not sure if they could. I'm not sure if they could make Airplane today. Um, but shout out to Leslie Nielsen, um, who uh, I I want to know which is better, Airplane or the Naked Gun movies. Um. But yeah, Naked Gun, I'm not even sure if they can make Naked Gun today, but I'm pretty sure. I am pretty sure they could not make Airplane today. Um, even though that some of the 
<laughs> oh, the, the mom. The mom from Leave at the Beaver who speaks jive. I mean, yeah, no way. No way could they make it. Even though if they did, I would be curious to know who they could get to make that movie in 2020. Well, 2022. Because he couldn't really film anything. There's not going to be any, you know, there's not going to be any really any filming of anything of value. So there's basically a, a whole bunch of really horrible shows that probably got filmed and got shelved or canned for for a myriad of reasons now that are going to be making its way to Hulu and, and Netflix because we are starved. We are starved for 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 content. Uh, I'm still looking for a new show. Uh, Warrior Nun. I hope I hope Warrior Nun was one of those shows where they like filmed like two seasons at once, and that the next season is going to be coming out soon. Because, but that's that's that was like that's how bad it had gotten. That I'd found the show Warrior Nun, and and if you haven't seen Warrior Nun, it's about nuns who are like ninjas. It's better than the description that I just gave it. But Leslie Nelson, back to the point, sorry. Um, she um, was recently evicted from her home in Memphis, Tennessee. Um, and uh, she fell behind on payments because of, uh, of medical debt. So, um, and this is, the story is just sad that, I mean, it's just the sadness that here's a woman in recovery of COVID who uh, was being put out of her home. Like, I, I just, the, the idea that in the wake of a pandemic where we are losing our jobs, we are losing our social connections. Hell, we're losing our minds. Can I just say shout out to um, Flautus, um, the real first lady, Michelle Obama, um, her podcast on Spotify. Um, if you haven't checked it out, give it a listen. That un unlike me, she didn't doesn't need to pander for <laughs> subscriptions and uh, a five star rating. I'm not sure you can actually rate on Spotify. But in her most recent episode of, of the pod, uh, she talks about and addresses the fact that um, it's kind of experiencing like a kind of a low grade depression. Um, this isn't normal. So this happens. This, the first lady of the United States, Michelle Obama, who's got what we would we would seem to think has everything. And she's going through it. And, but, and she's a person of means. Now imagine not having means and imagine having the, the, your dignity, the attempt of, of stripping one of their dignity by throwing all of their stuff out on, on the curb while also struggling to hold on to your health in your life. That, uh, that happened to, to Leslie Nelson, but that's happening to, to, um, to people all over the country. Um, it's unthinkable. So when, when the president signs an order saying we should consider, we don't need to consider pausing evictions. We just need to 
honestly, I think until there's until everyone has been vaccinated, I think they just need to be abolished. We need to we need to stop the practice of making people houseless. Because it's a choice. It's a policy choice. You you don't you all do understand that, right? This is a policy choice that as a society that we're making, that there are some people who deserve to have housing and that there are some people who don't. That it is a policy choice to make children houseless. It is a policy choice to throw people who are struggling to fight a virus houseless. Just like we have a policy to, to make the eviction process possible, we have the ability to craft policy to make people staying in their homes a reality for all people. Sorry, I'm on my soapbox, but I, we need better leadership than just recommending when, hell, I don't know how many of these homes are backed by Fannie and Freddie, and I know, I realize I'm using old terminology here, but government-based backed loans. If it's a government-backed loan, then we need a moratorium on that stuff right now. And can I just say, I'm not just talking evictions, but I'm talking foreclosures. Even before the pandemic, and this goes back, this is why I loved Elizabeth Warren so much. That Elizabeth Warren was at the forefront, this is more than 10 years ago, Basically saying, look, these predatory lending practices, these homes that are being sold to folks at rates that are that are well beyond their budgets, like most of the foreclosures, like medical debt. You all realize that medical debt is like the biggest driver of foreclosures right now. It's going to be unemployment as well. But unemployment and medical debt. So we're going to have to fix this whole medical debt issue and we have we can't we can't keep doing this but but yeah that's why i've been day one with elizabeth warren because she's been the stuff that we're talking about that i am talking about right now are things that she's been fighting for decades so when i said does joe biden have to pick a black woman it would be great if he did but if i'm just gonna all right i'm just gonna put my cards on the table if it's not a black woman the woman's name needs to be Elizabeth Warren. There. I said it. Cards on the table. We can, But we can fix this. And we need somebody. We need leadership who is committed. Who is committed to ending the practices of, of evicting people. Okay? We have to put an end to that. Um, this is not a good transition. Okay? It's a terrible transition that I'm making, but um, I, I today is August 9th, and uh, six years ago, a young man, recent um, high school graduate, um, Michael Brown, was shot and killed by a Ferguson police officer, Darren Wilson. Um... And his body was left on the street unattended for several hours. Um, and uh, Michael Brown's death um, 
led to what I refer to as the, the Ferguson uprising uh, for racial justice. Um, and um, yeah, we need to just say his name and remember him. Um, shout out to Cori Bush, by the way. Cori Bush, who was uh, one of the the organizers of the Ferguson uh, uprising, um, uh, defeated longtime um, Democrat stalwart Lacey Clay. Uh, I think a Clay has represented that district for probably 30, 40 years. She beat him in the primary. And uh, look, if you're inclined to, um, to support Democrat uh, nominees, in, those that maybe not in your, in your district or your state, Cori Bush, you all correct me if I'm wrong. I believe it's the second. Is it the second district? Uh, congressional district? I'm not sure. Um, Google Cori Bush. C-O-R-I Bush. Um, also featured on uh, Work in Progress. Sophia Bush's um, podcast that I, that I um, recommended a, a couple episodes ago. No relation. But check out her interview on, um, on Work in Progress. Anywhere you find podcasts, you can find Sophia Bush's podcast. Excellent pod. Um, Corey Bush um, was on, um, but yeah, say his name, Michael Brown. We need, we need, man. And I just saw a disturbing video from the Atlanta area yesterday, where police um, fired on some teenage, unarmed um, teenage black youth. Uh, yeah, we got to do, we got to do better. Um, so yeah, Michael Brown on this day uh, in uh, twenty fourteen was was kill um on a brighter note today um would mark the 57th birthday of the i i believe the the finest um now i know some people are aretha franklin folks i think the finest american voice that we have ever produced uh whitney houston um on this day in 1963 um Whitney Houston uh, was born. Uh, one of my first concerts um, that I ever went to was Whitney Houston at Sandstone. Do y'all remember that first Whitney Houston album? Um, and then on the back of the album cover, she's like on a horse. I mean, um, yeah, my dad tells the story. Uh, he, uh, my dad met, my dad has met, uh, a few awesome people like he he once played basketball with Marvin Gaye, like had the old Polaroids of him playing basketball with Marvin Gaye. Um, but my dad used to um, work for the Kansas State Department of Education and, you know, doing diversity, diversity and equity back in the in the 80s. Right. Mid to late uh, mid to late 80s, early 90s. Um, and so he met Bobby De Niro at a conference in Omaha, Nebraska. Um, and, uh, oh, get it. Okay, so the, the story is that Bobby De Niro was at this thing. It was a big, like, uh, federal kind of thing, and it was a thing in, in Omaha. But Whitney Houston was also there. So my dad also met Whitney Houston. Uh, and Bobby De Niro was just clearly, like, throwing game at Whitney Houston. Um, now, my dad, I, I think I get the gift of hyperbole from him. Um, so it may have been that Bobby was just talking to Whitney Houston, but as my dad told it, he was uh, spitting game at, at, at Whitney Houston, but happy birthday, 
um, to the greatest American uh, voice I think this country's ever produced. Uh, shout out to Whitney Houston. Hey, hey y'all, it's been fun. Before we get out of here, just make sure you're taking care of yourself uh, and each other. Uh, we've got a long haul ahead of us, but together, together we can do this. Uh, until I see you again the next time on Uninvited, um, peace. And I